Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Isn't that interesting? We hear all sorts of answers in, in, in regard to the question who the Holy Spirit is. In that we saw canned biblical answers, we saw very personal answers, we saw answers that sounded like pantheism and Eastern religion, and we saw answers that came from the Disney movies, Right? Who is the Holy Spirit to us? Wendy and I were uh, chatting about this as we were waking up and getting out of bed this last week one time, and Wendy said to me, she said, uh, when I was a kid, the uh, Sunday school teachers never really taught much about it. And the way they taught about it, I had this picture of God the Father as being this really old man, and I had the picture of Jesus being like maybe my parents' age in a bathrobe. I never actually asked her why in a bathrobe. And uh, the Holy Spirit, Spirit was the only thing we ever talked about there was it came up at the end of every sermon in her liturgical setting at the end of every sermon every service they said the Apostles Creed and I used to have it memorized but I don't so the end of the Apostles Creed says this I believe in the Holy Ghost the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body and life everlasting amen and when her teacher in Sunday school would almost never talk about this Holy Ghost, and when she'd slip up and talk about it, Wendy says, this chill went down me. It's just the ghost. What's this ghost that nobody ever talks about, right? There's just so many ideas of who the Holy Spirit is. And the simplest answer is just this. He really is God. In the Christian faith, God is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. They're all co-equal. They're all part of one. They're three persons in one in the Holy Spirit. It's not a force. It's not an it. It's a person. It is a person. I keep saying it, and you'll probably correct me on that the whole time throughout this series. And we see this relationship of God represented in many places in the Bible. I mean, many places. Some of them we see John fifteen twenty six says this. It says, the Holy Spirit was being sent from the Father to testify about Jesus. And we see this dance of the oneness and the three persons there. We see it in Luke 3.22 at Jesus' baptism. And we see it in what we refer to in Christian faith as the Great, com- uh, the Great Commission. In Matthew 28.19, it says, Baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we see that the Holy Spirit is God. It's sometimes referred to as the Spirit of God. And sometimes it's referred simply to as the Spirit of Jesus as well. Today I want to address one part of the significance of what this means to us. Now, we're talking in this series about follow the goose. And for those of you that weren't here when we introduced it, uh, the, the goose is actually the Celtic symbol for the Holy Spirit. They felt like the dove was a little too docile. They felt like the goose, the wild goose, actually uh, symbolized their experience of who God was through the Bible and who God was in their experience in terms of being unpredictable, powerful, beautiful, and going on a journey And in our first message that we had two weeks ago, we kind of set the stage from Scripture that Scripture tells us that when we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit isn't an add-on. The Holy Spirit is intended to be the centerpiece of our experience in following who Jesus is. We further looked at the scripture that talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is available to all. It's not just available to the spiritual ones. It's not just available to pastors and preachers and priests and bishops and theological teachers and extra spiritual people or supposedly extra spiritual people. It's available to all of us. 
And we also kind of set a theme that I want to continue to carry for us as we explore this. And that theme is this, to live curious and engaged. You see, it's one thing to live curious. When we live curious, we're interested, we look at it, but we can live curious and we can still set back and it can be just this thing that we know about out here. But if we live curious and engaged, what it means is that we're not only to live curious, but we're going to seek for that experience, seek for that encounter. We're going to pursue knowing the Holy Spirit personally, and we're going to take active steps to do that. So last time we asked you to take one active step over the last couple of weeks, and that was simply this. Based upon a scripture in Ephesians 5 that talks about the Holy Spirit, we asked you to pray daily, multiple times a day throughout the day, just to pray and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, come to me. Make yourself known to me. Let me know what you're doing right now. How's that gone for you? You've been doing that? You know, I've actually heard a number of you who've been doing that telling me stories that all of a sudden you're starting to become aware of encounters when the Holy Spirit's there. And you're going to hear some of those stories over the next few weeks as we go on. But it's it's been really, really cool stuff that God has been doing and God has been showing us about how the Holy Spirit wants to be with us in our everyday, ordinary life, at work, at home, at play, at church, with friends. So often, uh, for whatever reason, though, We treat the Holy Spirit as something less than a person, something less than God. I'll bet many of you can relate to this. You've probably heard it. Maybe some of you have said it. Some of you have probably gone through life saying, I don't know if I want too much of this Holy Spirit stuff. It's really nice. It's really good. But let's not pursue the Holy Spirit too much, right? Have you heard that? Have you maybe even said that in your heart at times before? The problem with that statement is if the Holy Spirit is God, then what you're saying in that statement is, I don't really want too much of God in my life. I don't want to pursue knowing God too much. We don't want too much of him in our life. Last week, Jason Upton spoke to us, and he spoke on a number of things. He spoke on the fact of forgiveness, and it was a beautiful time if you got to hear that. And he spoke in a way and and, in many aspects talked about how walking with the Holy Spirit can just be this real, this just relational thing for us. But I thought one of his more stark points that he made was his point, do you remember, about shadow gods? We create these shadow gods. And his talk in relation to that about him meeting this Jesuit priest who had been hearing confessions for 40 years, and he says, I've never heard somebody come and confess to me a sin against the first two commandments. The first two commandments are, you shall have no other God before me, and you shall not make any idols to worship. You should only worship me is basically what they're saying. We always confess these things about, oh, I lied, I did this wrong, I got angry, I lost my temperature, I temperature, temper, maybe lost your temperature too. And, uh, you know, we confess all these things. But when we say those statements that I mentioned earlier about, I don't know if I want to pursue this Holy Spirit stuff too much. I don't know if I want to look at that too much. We're basically denying God. And we're creating a shadow of him in our own comfort zone, in our own image. We're basically saying, Jesus, you lied when you said to us, it's better that you go away and send the Holy Spirit. We're saying, no, he didn't really mean to send the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't really pursue that. We shouldn't really know that. Basically, it's apostasy. We're essentially living like unbelievers when we do that, when we say those statements. 
because we're saying we don't believe you, God. And then we sometimes wonder why our faith is less than compelling or less than transforming. And our thoughts and our attitudes show that we don't trust God. That we just think what he's sending to us and when he refers to this Holy Spirit that it's just a bunch of hocus pocus stuff and that we really can't trust the Holy Spirit to truly lead us into all truth about who he is now to us in our world today. I would guess, honestly, that most of us have been there at some point. There have been experiences in my life where I've, where I've walked away saying, I don't know if I want too much of that Holy Spirit stuff. I don't know if I want to pursue that. And I think all of us have probably been there at some point. But there's one other response as well that I want to get to, and it all ties into where we're going today. Uh, when I, when we, when I hear people talking about, uh, listening to a series of messages on the Holy Spirit, I often hear this objection or this statement that a series like this is only for believers. It's not meant for the unconvinced. We're talking about stuff that only believers should talk about. And why do we talk about it so much on a Sunday morning? And let me say that, no, that's actually an inaccurate understanding. In fact, I don't usually say stuff this, this strong, but that's actually a ridiculous misunderstanding of the process that we go through in actually coming to faith That is a statement straight out of religion, not in relationship, because coming to faith is a relational thing. It's not just about being religious and having rules and having morality in our life. Coming to faith in Jesus means we encounter the Holy Spirit. Now, we may not label it as that in that process yet. We may not understand it to be that, but part of coming to faith is we encounter the Holy Spirit, and we realize that God is real, that he's really here with us now, that his forgiveness, his offer of forgiveness for the conviction that we feel is real, and we choose to surrender our lives to him as a person. I want to invite you, therefore, throughout this series to be all the more about inviting your unconvinced friends. Because the Holy Spirit is the, is the one who leads us to faith. In fact, next week we're going to actually explore that from a very specific text that talks about how we make faith decisions, whether it's our initial choice to follow Christ or whether the, or, or how the Holy Spirit leads us as we continue to grow in our faith to make additional choices to walk like Him and to follow Him faithfully. Think of this whole topic this way. Uh, again, Wendy and I have talked a lot over the years uh, from her experience in therapy about this, about this uh, for six years when we were first married. Wendy worked in an inpatient adolescent psych facility, a, lo- a lockdown facility, and she worked with people who had severe attachment disorders. Now, you may have heard some or maybe a lot about severe attachment disorders. They first started to become a little bit recognized historically all the way back in the 13th century. And talked about, uh, Frederick the Great decided to do this experiment. He decided, and it's kind of a crazy experiment, you're gonna probably, you'll see it, it's just kind of crazy. His whole experiment was, I wonder what language people would talk if they never heard a language. Maybe it was a, I don't know, maybe he wanted to see if everybody would speak German and therefore he was superior, I don't know. Right? So he set up these orphanages. And the instructions to the caregivers in the orphanages were never talk around the kids, 
And other than feeding them, don't ever touch them. And what did he find out? He found out that none of the kids ever spoke. And he found out one thing very tragic, very unfortunate, that has informed attachment disorders from that day forward. All of the kids died before they got to childhood because they were not touched. You see, touch is important. Experience is important in our lives. We know this because of all we've heard in the media about uh, abuse situations and the kids in orphanages where there's, you know, 20, 30 babies to one person. They don't get touched that much. And we've heard all the sociological and, and we know from science science the health problems that they typically have when they're in that kind of an environment, right? In fact, we even know from other studies that, that older people who are not touched don't live as long. In fact, older people who are in an assisted care living center who get touched more than people who stay in their own setting and never, ever have interaction and never get touched live longer than the people who live by themselves and don't get touched and don't have encounters with other people. Everyone needs to be touched. In fact, the studies even show that even having a dog will help increase the lifespan of somebody who is living alone who doesn't get touched. And I'm not convinced of that completely, right? And here's why I'm not convinced of that completely. Because have you ever been around a yippy-yappy dog? If, if when I'm old, if for some reason Wendy dies before I die and I'm alone, if anybody gets me a yippy-yappy dog, it's either going to shorten my, my lifespan or the dog's lifespan is going to be shortened, right? I mean, that's just the way it is, right, in life. But Wendy would get these kids in this inpatient setting that had severe attachment disorders, and they would come in. These are the kind of kids who would torture animals. These are the kind of kids who would light other people's hair on fire. These are the kind of kids who would stab their parents and feel no remorse. There was a hollowness. They felt nothing bad about doing those things. And the treatment goal of the treatment team was to help them regain a connection to people that is both physical and emotional and experiential with other people. And some of them did and others didn't. I remember one day walking into Arby's. And uh, we were just, we hadn't, didn't have kids yet. We walked into Arby's, and all of a sudden we're, we're standing in line. It's a busy lunch, and all of a sudden Wendy ducks behind me, and I'm going, "What?" And she consists on staying behind me. I can't get her to come out, and she finally whispers in my ear, "The guy cutting the beef for the sandwiches, he was one of our patients, and he was a guy who felt nothing about hurting anybody. I don't want to eat a sandwich here because if he sees me, it'll probably be poisoned." I mean. We joke about it, but it was serious, too, at the same time. In fact, she was, she was reminding me this morning, uh, last evening or this morning, I can't remember which, uh, that, uh, you know, we had Derek, our firstborn, shortly after that, and she had been working with attachment disorders, and she was so overly concerned that Derek would have attachment so that Derek, sleeping, could not wake up without her face being there. I mean, it was, and this, this baby got carried around everywhere we went, and we were poor, and all we could afford was borrowing a friend's pink snuggly, and so you got a boy and a pink snuggly, and after a while, everybody come up to you going, oh, what a cute little girl. You finally just say, I'm not even going to correct that anymore. You know, you just, uh, you just walk on, right? Connecting. Connection with others. Experiencing the love of another. Not just words. 
is essential. It's essential for our healthy personal development and a healthy life. All of us need touch. All of us need to experience love. Romans 5, 5 says this, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, God has given us the experience of touch, the experience of, of love in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's gift of experience of a real relationship with Him to each and every one of us who choose to follow Him. Yet many of us live our faith in regard to God with a severe attachment disorder. We, we act like, uh, well, we act like God is as real to us as a romance novel. We read a romance novel, we, we get into it and we love the feelings and we love the ideas and we love the touch that we see going on in the characters, but then you close the book and it's done and you never really experience it. You never really know it. It's just, it's just words on paper. And in fact, for many of us, we've reduced the Holy Spirit to a line in a creed or something mentioned in the Bible that is just a little too hard for us to understand. It's a lot easier to understand Jesus because we can see Him. We can understand His interactions and we can read the stories. And in many respects, our faith reflects a deism and not Christianity, not the belief of Christianity. You see, deism is this belief that there is a God that this God created everything and He created all the mechanical rules, the laws of nature, everything. He put it all into order and it all runs and, and then He left. And He really has nothing to do with it anymore. And in deism, you are left to the whims and wisdom of yourself and the chance of nature and the chance of interacting with others. And it ends up being this almost merciless world, this cold hard, merciless world. You see, the problem is when we mentally assent to believing in the core truths of Christianity, when we, when we assent to the fact that there is a God and that He revealed Himself through Jesus' His Son and all that, all that that means and that He sent His Holy Spirit, that we, we believe in the Trinity, we believe in forgiveness, we believe in, in uh, healing, we believe in the empowerment, we believe that we, in prayer and we believe in the authority of the Bible as God's revelation to us to to lead our lives into blessing when we learn to follow it and learn to understand Him through it. And then we think, because I believe this stuff, therefore my life will change. But the reality is oftentimes people's experience is that life doesn't change that much. And so they end up living their faith just to do the right things. Or we end up living our faith in a way where we feel ourselves starting to check out or we feel ourselves starting to get disillusioned or doubt things. And while Christianity does have very clear beliefs that we need to believe in order to call ourselves a follower of Christ, it's much more than beliefs. It's something we also receive. And that something is the power and the beauty of the relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift of experience of that living relationship with God Himself. 
And we see the experiences of it being even illustrated in some places simple as Acts 2. When the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples that very first time, we see them having an experience of sound. It describes this violent rushing wind in the text. And then it talks about, you hear the sound of this miraculous, this miracle of of uneducated Galileans speaking languages they don't understand, glorifying God. And all these people from all over the Roman Empire visiting for the day of Pentecost festival hear them speaking of the glory of God in their own language. And they understand these guys couldn't speak it. We see the experience of sight, whether that's with our physical eyes or some sort of mystical vision, who knows, who cares, but they saw what they described as something that looked like tongues of fire. They had a physical sensation. It, 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 it describes as violent rushing wind filling the whole house, and you can imagine the sense of the vibration of this almost sense of a tornado feel or coming into the room. And you see them experiencing emotion. You see them praising God, exalting, being amazed, being astonished. And you see the people who received having those feelings and the people who didn't receive standing there perplexed and and also experiencing emotions, sneering and mocking at them, mocking at the people who did receive it. And isn't it true today that we want experiences? Our culture wants experiences I mean, why else do we have drum circles? Now, that, maybe that's not as relevant out here. I don't know if there's a bunch of drum circles, but I just, I remember a 4th of July when we were living in Eugene, wanting to listen to patriotic music, and all of a sudden this drum circle comes along, and it's just, you know, there's, we live in a world where we do crazy things just for the thrill of it. There, did you, do you know there's a world record contest for who can throw a mobile phone the farthest? We see base jumping and volcano diving and skateboarding tricks that provide us laughter at the stupidity of the spills that why would you do this after you spilled and hurt yourself like that, you know, ten times. Maybe you haven't heard of this, but there's also these nude bicycling events. I mean, that doesn't seem pleasant for either gender, does it? I mean, that's just what sense is there in a nude bicycling trip? And we see aberrations of sex being experienced all over the place, even even crazy things like asphyxiation during sex that's being practiced dangerously by so many other, and the list could go on. You see, people want experiences, even if they're ridiculous and stupid. They want experiences because they want to feel something. To feel something is better than not feeling and Christ's promise of the Holy Spirit offers all of us who follow him an experience that is true, an experience that is deep, an experience that touches us and satisfies us at the depth of our core. And when we honestly look at the teaching of Jesus and the lives of the people who are filled with the Spirit in the Bible, we have to quickly conclude that if you don't have an experience with the Holy Spirit, if you never experience that, if you don't ever feel God, then your Christian life is deficient in some way. It's less than what God wants it to be. And I know what some of you are thinking about right now. Why do I know that? Because I've thought it too, and I've been taught it too. We were all taught, many of us were taught, not to be too feeling-oriented. Why? Because you can't trust your feelings, and sometimes we know that feelings lead us down a path of action that we don't like, and we sin in those feelings, right? 
And sure, feelings can't be our only foundation to our faith. I mean, it doesn't take a feeling to know you're not supposed to go around and punch somebody in the face. And we know if we've been in a relationship, a loving relationship with a family member or a spouse for a long period of time, we know that you don't have to have a feeling to still be in love and be faithful to that relationship. But how well do you think it would go over if I came home one night and I looked in Wendy's beautiful blue eyes and I said to her, I love you, but I feel nothing for you. Not a zip. Absolutely nothing dead. I don't feel any compassion for you, and neither do I feel any frustration. There's absolutely nothing. How, how do you think that would go over? Husbands, where do you think you'd be sleeping that night? Right? And then there have been a number of times throughout our, throughout our marriage where we've had fights over my, caused by my insensitivity and my lack of awareness to feelings in life. You know, I remember one of them early on, like two months into our dating, uh, I remember standing in a conversation and a good friend of mine was asking me, what do you like about her? And he'd tell me about her because he didn't know her very well. And I said, well, you know, I'd, one of the first things I said was, she has the most amazingly beautiful eyes. And then I listed all sorts of other things. And he stops me and says, well, what color are her eyes? And I went, I don't know. And when she found out about that, she goes, how can you be so insensitive to think my eyes are beautiful but not know what color they are? And I said, well, at least I think they're beautiful. And it's one of the things that attracted me most. And now I'll never forget they're blue. (laughs) I can be thick sometimes. There's something wrong if you never feel anything. If you never experience anything. And there's something wrong in your relationship with God if you never feel or experience anything. And experience isn't always a feeling. If you believe, but not, experience can be just experiencing the reality of God through feeling, through sensation, through seeing something that you know is God happening, through, through sound. It can be emotions as well. It can be a physical sensation. And if we never experience those things, then we are not living in what Jesus calls us to live in as followers of him. Allow me to give you another way to look at this. This is this one from the business world, and it, and it applies not just to the business world, but uh, John Cotter is an author I've loved in the past. And I, there's two books that have really, really made an impact in, in my life as a leader, uh, and it's been leading change in his subsequent book, The Heart of Change. In his writings, he discusses with us how to how to bring transformative changes to work environments. And honestly, the principles apply to us individually as well in a lot of ways. In his book, The Heart of Change, he includes these uh, stories written by other people, the basically case studies, where the executive he was working with or the executive he was studying writes, this is what happened and this is what I learned. And one of those stories is called When Alligators Are Nipping at Your Heels. And the executive in that setting goes into this business that's troubled and he decides to try to lead transformative change and he decides, okay, everybody says you start with vision. So he started with vision. He defined this is the new way we're going to think. This is the new thing we're going to do. This is what we're going to, this is where we're going to go. And it didn't take very long through several meetings over a couple of weeks to realize nothing was happening. No change was taking place. Why? Why was it not taking place? Well, what he began to discover is that 
the leaders he was working with all had alligators nipping at their heels. They were feeling like the ship was about to sink and everything was in crisis mode and there was always something demanding their attention. And the new vision was either responded to with fear, how am I ever going to please this guy because I'm never going to have the time to keep all this stuff afloat and make a change, or it was responded to with hopelessness because many of us have been there. We've been in organizations or we've been around people who put words on paper or words on the wall saying, this is our vision, this is our values, this is what we're going to be, and you know they mean nothing. And so you're hopeless that things and change is really going to happen. Or sometimes just simply resistance because, hey, these guys are all smart, hardworking people who got the business to where it is and their ideas form the foundation. So if we just work a little harder, a few little tweaks, we don't need big change. We're smart. We got it here. We can get it further, you know. And the lesson Cotter is giving us in the context of this case study is in order for change to happen, We have to increase urgency in our lives. We have to have a a greater felt need for change. And the lesson he gives out of this specific case study is that we can only give get that urgency in our lives by creating or highlighting experiences that both reveal the truth of the situation while they also remove the fears and they comfort the anxieties to the extent that we can positively engage. We have to deal with both the positive. We have to deal with both the positive and the negative in the room in order to free up urgency to change. And he goes on to illustrate this further by challenging something I think that we all default to and we all understand it both in, in the business world and we understand it in our personal lives. It's, we, we refer to it in our personal lives as hitting bottom. In the business world, they, they may refer to it, and, and he says that a lot of people in leadership change decide that we need to light a fire under people. We need to create urgency by creating a crisis to bring people to change. And he says, well, at least in this instance, that doesn't really work. Because isn't it true in our own lives, we all live with alligators nipping in our knees. We have the stress of time. We have this lack of emotional energy to maintain our relationships in a healthy way, much less with God. We, we face regular temptation, and we all too often succumb to that. We uh, have our beliefs and our vision, our values that we want to live to up to. We have our New Year's resolutions all pasted out there, but they're just papers. And he says, if we end up creating a crisis and lighting a fire under us, all we do is create people who grab the fire extinguisher and put the fire out and get back on the broken, now burned platform. Or we have other people who hunker down in fear that everything is going to go away and they become paralyzed and can't do anything. Or by creating a fire under people of urgency that way and creating a crisis, we just have some people abandon ship and leave the organization. In the account, alligators nipping in her heels, the executive saw this and he decided, I'm going to change course. And I'm going to personally, personally engage the people at the level of their fear. I'm going to create experiences with the, with the teams that relieve those fears and still talk about the truth. And it was successful. The eventual result was transformative change. And the reality is the Holy Spirit is like, in many ways, that executive to us, that person who comes to us, each and every one of us, and relieves those fears, helps us experience his love, and his presence and his empowerment with us for us to change. We see it in Jesus with the Samaritan woman, right, at the well. 
uh, the Samaritan woman comes to the well and she already knows that she shouldn't be talking to a man, much less a Jewish rabbi. And, and, and she's been divorced five times. And she's now living with a guy she's not even married to. And her life has been this shattered story of abuse. And, and Jesus manages to talk with her in a way that she feels so loved. And yet he also speaks the truth. And for those of us, when we want change, we can read the Bible, we can understand the principles, we can know what's right and believe intellectually that God loves us. But until we learn to receive the Spirit's work of pouring out the love of Christ in our hearts, until we learn to pay attention to Him so that He becomes our daily friend, that we understand to be living and real, until He calms our fears... And we really know from experience of him that we are loved. Transformative change doesn't happen in our lives. We're left with words on paper and vision statements and New Year's promises on the wall. See, it's the experience of someone coming alongside of us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. Jeremiah 31 puts it a different way. He, and Jeremiah is talking about this new covenant that Jesus would establish and gives us a hint at what the Holy Spirit does in us because of what happens in the new covenant. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with you in Jeremiah 31. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. You see, Jeremiah is basically saying to us, you can have your beliefs and values and they all go on the wall of the board or in your room. You can ink, you can have the ink of the paper in the Bible. But it doesn't become a living experience until the Holy Spirit comes and remolds your heart, rewires your heart, takes those lies that you've believed about yourself and overwhelms them with his love so much that if we want to talk a physiological term, your neuropathways are rewired and you have a new way of even relating to the world because he comes to you rewiring your heart. And we saw that, didn't we? In the testimonies we saw on Easter of Courtney and Buzz, both of them we saw instances of the Holy Spirit coming and rewiring their heart. And in specific to Courtney's statement, we saw her whole negative experience and terrifying experience of the birth of her child and the, the drugs they gave her that created hallucinations. And we saw how the Holy Spirit led her, came to her and spoke to her and gave her images and pictures to rewire that experience for her. That's what we see in those things. If you didn't get the chance to see those testimonies on Easter, you can see them on the Facebook page, Quest Facebook page or the Vimeo channel. It's really just another way of saying hope does not, our original verse, hope does not put us, uh, put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Or it's another way of saying another verse that we often quote out of Romans 8.1. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that, that's a powerful scripture, isn't it? Isn't that an amazing concept to just ponder the fact that there's now no condemnation? But oftentimes when we quote that verse, we stop there. And we don't really ask the question, but how does that happen? I mean, how does that, how does our fear of falling short become peace? How does our guilt, how is that resolved? 
in a permanent way in our lives? How is our drivenness for success and our need for achievement and significance become joy instead of the stressful competition, always needing to be better, always needing to work harder, always hard on ourselves, condemning ourselves because we need to be smarter and work harder in our setting? And Paul's answer comes in verse 2 right after that. It says, For the law of the Spirit, Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, the experience of the Holy Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, encountering the life and the presence of, of of the love of God, experiencing the Spirit as real, as tangible, as experiential in all sorts of different ways in your life is what brings Change And without it, we are just left with religion, with morality and rules in a book. So how can we learn to live more curious and engaged in following the Holy Spirit? How can we be more aware of the person of the Holy Spirit? You know, for some of us, it's, a, it's an issue of a lack of exposure, you probably grew up in a setting where it was, if you were in church, it was just like Wendy's experience. It was just the Apostles' Creed and something you said and nobody ever really talked about it. Nobody ever, well, this series is going to help you discover who the Holy Spirit is and how God becomes real to you, how you can encounter Him and experience Him. Some of you have had a little bit of exposure, but you, it's been so mystical. It's just been so out there and it's been hard to understand and so there's just kind of this disconnect Uh, and this series is going to help you with that as well some of you truth be told have had those negative experiences or painful experiences or confusing experiences where where you've said i don't i don't want too much of this holy spirit stuff i want to invite you today if you've been one of those who have said that i've said that at points in my life if you've been one of those who have said, I don't know about this Holy Spirit stuff. I don't want too much of that. I want to invite you to repent today. Because you're speaking about God. And you're saying, I don't want too much of God. And you've got a shadow God. You're unwilling to look at the whole thing of who He is. And for the rest of us, I just want to continue to invite us to be open, to be curious, to be engaged. Let me pray. Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would come even now, and make yourself known to people. We don't care how you do that. We know that you're fully capable of making yourself known, and we welcome you in all of the ways you want to make yourself known to us. Lord, in fact, I I, I pray that throughout this time period, throughout this series, that whatever is normal for the way you encounter us, for the way we sense you and how often we should know that you are with us, whatever normal is for that for each one of us, I pray that you would accelerate that and that you would make yourself even more real so that as we discuss you and as we look to you, as we seek you, that we would find you. And that you would create multiple experiences for us. That we would become confident in knowing your presence. In identifying and acknowledging you. That those things that we experience now where you are with us. That we don't acknowledge as you. That we don't recognize. That we would begin to name them. So that we'd be able to worship you and praise you for those things. And even be more intentional about the joy of following you. And Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name for each and every one of us.
This next song you may all not know. I want to just invite you to make it your prayer, to listen to it and make it your prayer and continue in worship. So here's the invitation for today. If we're curious and we're actively engaged, then if you're here today and you've never had any encounter where you can say that was the Holy Spirit, then I want to invite you to have some people pray with you. And I just want to be so bold as we can't control God, but I want to be so bold as to believe that if he's called us to be talking about this now, which we believe he has, that he's also going to make it at a lab in a sense for us to encounter and experience and learn what we're talking about. So I want to encourage you to grab a friend or join some of the prayer people in the prayer area in the back and just let them pray over you for an encounter with God. If you're here today and uh, you've got a need, maybe it's healing, maybe it's finances, maybe it's a work issue, then grab somebody and have them pray with you and see if God will encounter you and bring some sort of resolution in that. That's part of being actively engaged. Curiosity would say, well, I'm curious, but I'm going to stay back here and I'm not going to let anybody pray for me. Curious and engaged would be, you know what? I'm not only going to pray, but I'm going to let other people pray and I'm going to see if God shows up. And I'm going to trust him to show up in his own way, in his own time. And we're just going to live that way. So let's live curious and engaged this week. God bless. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.